and the mouse keep running, running, and 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 running, running, everybody and welcome back to the weird science marvel comics podcast i'm jim and i'm going to be going through a bunch of books tonight for this episode for 79 before we get into all that let me remind everyone to go over to twitter at ws marvel comics the ws does stand for weird science follow us we'll follow you right on back then go to our website weirdsciencemarvelcomics.com to see written reviews from gabe Mainly Gabe. You know, some may say he's sus. I got his back. He's just slightly sus is what I end up saying. So go and check out those reviews. Then go to our YouTube channel. That is Weird Science Comics. And you could see some videos that I have done, some reviews, some commentary type of things, and even a video where I talk about how ridiculous I believe Nick Lowe, the editor of Spider-Man, was being last week so you can go and check that out and then finally go to our patreon patreon.com slash weird science where you can get a lot of bonus podcasts if you do like podcasts i'm assuming you do you're listening to one right now you can go and get a bunch of other bonus stuff one of the things that i did recently on the patreon is me and my man matt razor who does the star wars stuff with me we ended up doing issue number four of Secret Invasion for our Crisis podcast, and we're having a lot of fun with that. I also have personally a Ultimate Marvel Universe Reading Club podcast. We have all sorts of things and all Marvel, DC, manga, all that, all rolled up into one, a ton of podcasts. Go and check that out. Like I said, patreon.com slash weird science. But enough of all of that. Let's get on to the books. And this this podcast is going to be a bit goblin centric i'm sure you can see from the title of the podcast but we're also going to talk about the latest issue of spider-man fantastic four where i think i had a bit of an epiphany i'll explain that when we get to it and all sorts of stuff so let's get on with the podcast all right let's start things off with amazing spider-man number 21 written by zeb wells pencils by john ramita jr inks by scott hannah Marcel Menez on colors and VCs Joe Caramagna on letters. Here is the recap, a bit long. A year and a half ago, something mysterious happened to Peter Parker. During that mysterious happening and the ensuing six months, Peter burned bridges with his friends, loved ones, and fellow superheroes to the point where Norman Osborn was the only person who would give Peter the time of day. And if that weren't enough, Mary Jane Watson came out of the experience in a new relationship and as the mother of two children. Peter has since gotten his life back on track, taking a job at the new Oscorp, writing himself with the people he cares about, rekindling an old flame with Felicia Hardy, the black cat. But the shadow of what happened to Spider-Man has loomed over his life like an ever-present specter. You are about to learn what happened now. All right, so here it is. We're going to start the beginning of the end of this whole mystery box story. And by the end, We'll talk about that and talk about maybe how it compares to other mystery box stories in Spider-Man. But I just want to say the thing that worries me the most is that at the end of this, it's going to kind of make every issue leading up to it not really matter. 
you know, we'll say 26 issues of nothing then. That would be if you had a hard reset. Like they wake up six months ago, none of this happened. Then I'd be like, well, why didn't we just start there? I don't think it's going to be that drastic. But I still I'm hoping that it doesn't end up making all the other issues null and void. We'll see. But we start this off with Peter getting up. He's getting ready to go off to work. So he's going to go off to Oscorp, brushes his teeth, has some toast. Then we switch right to Mary Jane, who seems frustrated and overwhelmed. She's getting her two kids ready to go to the park. Paul comes in with some butter cookies at the last second, not really helping, but kind of helping like a dad would. I know I have five kids. I've done this maneuver many, many a time. But while Mary Jane is trying to get the kids ready, she yells at her little girl that is cute as a button and pretty much a mini MJ and says, Stephanie, why aren't your shoes on? Now, if you have paid attention, that is not the name that this girl went by at the beginning of this run. Her name was Rami. And whether or not they're going to play this off as, oh, Rami, that was a nickname. I'm not going to buy that. You can play it up in different ways, though. I mean, one of the things that I'm thinking is because this really feels like a big mind whammy, a mind free. Chris Angel came down. The idea that this happened and started a year ago, these kids aren't a year old. So what gives? So you can almost get that idea like reality shifting in subtle ways. You know, Rami to Stephanie. Oh, boy. So are they going to do that? It's almost like an error that gets turned into a feature. We'll see if they do that, but with Paul's help with his butter cookies, they get the kids ready. They're going off to the park. Now, they're going off to the park because it seems like it's a nice spring day. It's 70s. They're going to head off to the park. Peter thinks about the idea as he's heading to work, the idea that spring comes earlier and earlier each year. And every time you say that, a, a Greta gets her wings, I believe, right? How dare you. It is fun. It made me laugh. I thought of Greta right away when he's like, sunny day, spring comes faster every year. Damn right it does. But you end up when Mary Jane Paul and the kids come out into the street and it's snowing. It's windy and snowing. Well, that's not what the weather said. Obviously, they wouldn't be going to the park in that weather. I mean, Mary Jane seems frustrated, but she doesn't seem like that sus a mother. And so you see a cyclone, though, coming through New York City. Peter sees it, says, oh, no, right? My reaction. And Mary Jane and Paul see it. And Mary Jane says, Paul? And Paul says, I see it. Now, at this point, I was kind of shocked. I didn't think that in this whole story, when we would start to get towards what did happen, I didn't know or think that Paul was going to know so much. I think he knows a little too much. I don't like Paul. And I really now, he is sus because this cyclone comes towards them and they actually see inside there is a figure. There is a, you know, a guy in there. And you can tell the guy hasn't shaved in years. I can tell. Uh, But it's not Mary Jane who starts the, oh, my God, it's him. He's back. It's Paul. Paul says it's him. Mary Jane says it can't be. Are you sure? Like, she doesn't even think it's him. But Paul's right on the money. What's going on, Paul? And they say, oh, my God, it's a scribble man. He's back. They seem to have a deal where they have an emergency plan. And I'm not saying that they sat down and said if the scribble man comes back that you do this. I think this is their emergency plan because a lot of crazy crap goes down in New York City, right? So you end up where the plan is opposite directions. Paul gets the kids. 
runs off. And actually, I said that this may be the scribble man plan. I don't know, but you end up where Paul grabs the kids. He's going to go one way. Mary Jane's going to go the other and get a hold of Peter and say, oh, my God, do you see it? He's back. But in the meantime, Sus Paul, as he's walking away, says, remember how this works. I'll find you when they're safe. What does she remember, old Paul? And why do you remember? Because I don't know if everybody else, nobody else is yelling like, oh, no, the scribble man's back. This seems very personal for Peter and Mary Jane. What's up, Paul? I have a kind of a theory, but Mary Jane calls Peter and says he's back. He came back. And then we go to a black screen one year later. Boom. And we swipe to Rikers Island. And we see, and you can tell right away, this is the figure that was in the cyclone. Now, I'm going to try to get through this quick enough. This character is Rabin. This is a character that Zeb Wells created back in 2008, who appeared in Amazing Spider-Man 555 to 557. It gets very intricate. It deals a lot with Mayan mythology and time and calendars. And really, any time you deal anything Mayan, it's calendars, right? So you end up, and I'll give you the layman's deal, or as I like to say about myself, the lame man's deal, right? This guy, Benjamin Robin, was a mathematician who wanted to summon a Mayan god. He figured out that he could do this in this five-day period that's pretty much the Mayan leap year or leap days. And you can end up summoning the god by killing a male and a female and doing some rituals. And then you end up being able to ascend as an all-powerful being. This is what this guy wanted to do, what Rabin wanted to do. When this was all going down, Peter ends up stalling him. Really, the thing that really defeated Rabin back in the day was just time. He ended up going too long and didn't get to summon this god until after these leap days ended. So, And the weird play of it is I thought this was going to be something like a Halley's Comet. Like, and the way the sun lined up with Jupiter, you can only do this every 20 years. You can only do it every 15 years. Doesn't seem to be the case, but he's back in the game here. Again, remember, this is a year ago, too. But he's back. He has seemingly slaughtered a bunch of guys. He's in jail in a cell. They're all dead. There's one guy's left who ends up having the Mayan symbols on him. And you end up having Rabin give him, you know, his deal. He's like, my equations are sound. YF awaits me in Zebla, all this stuff. But you kind of get the idea. And he does slaughter this guy, but says your sacrifice will be appreciated. It will be talked about among the gods, and he does end up gutting this guy who then goes down. So that's the big play that he wants to ascend, and he's back doing his deal. So you go from there to then see him glowing outside of Mary Jane's apartment with Peter there hanging. And this, they even point out, this was back in Amazing Spider-Man 894. So that's kind of a, a cool enough callback. It was right when you ended up having Zeb Wells and his whole Beyond Squad kind of take over the book from Nick Spencer. They were going on and in the Beyond stuff. And so we did see this. And he's talking in Mayan, it seems. And Peter says, get back. What are you doing? This guy just kind of floats in and says, do you remember me? And like, yeah, I think I do. Let's get going. And so 
All of this is a big fight. Rabin is back. He's back to do what he wanted to do originally when Peter defeated him, and they end up having a fight. Peter gets the crap kicked out of him, but Rabin gets knocked out of the apartment as well. He falls and gets up, and then Peter is changed into the Spider-Man. He says to Mary Jane, you have that spare you know, costume here still, right? Yeah, let's go. So he ends up, and Spider-Man is now going to fight Rabin. And he kind of knows the play. He ends up webbing his mouth, and he's trying to take him down. It's not really that long a fight, but what ends up happening is he ends up tagging Peter. And we do end up having a flashback page, or at least half a page, of kind of what happened in Amazing Spider-Man 555-557. One of the cool things was it was a Wolverine team up. You see that. But you see all these things going down. And you see a guy with Peter at one point that does look like you're looking from the back. It looks like Paul. It looks like Paul to me. If you go and read those issues, there is a guy named Vern who ended up being, you know, on the run from S.H.I.E.L.D. He ended up kind of being a drifter kind of deal, but ended up gathering up a bunch of other homeless guys, and they ended up helping Peter take down Rabin. I'm starting to think that that's Paul. I'm thinking that that was Paul. They just changed the name. He changed his identity. He wants a new life. He got a little, you know, fancy with Mary Jane. Maybe I don't know, but that's what it seems. But in this part, Rabin... He ends up tagging Peter, talking his stuff, and that tag also goes through and goes off and appears on Mary Jane's wrist. She's tagged as well. And from what I've seen and what I read from that Amazing Spider-Man deal with Raven, he does have to kill a, a woman to get this whole ascension. Back in the first story, it was Carly Cooper that he was trying to do, but they saved her. So what's going to happen with Mary Jane now? Here's the snafu. Mary Jane in this is definitely wearing the present day clothes, not her flashback clothes that she should be wearing at that moment. But it doesn't really change the story. It's just kind of odd. But, yeah, she gets tagged and then, boom, Peter and Mary Jane are now in an apocalyptic scene with a giant dragon. And, yeah, I mean, it's a destroyed New York City. So what gives? What's going on? It's intriguing, right? I mean, I have theories that Paul, he's sus, and I do think it might be that guy who helped save the day back in the day. Maybe he was mad later, and so I don't know. We'll have to see what that's all about. Now, I said before that this mystery box storytelling and how it compares to other things. One of the things that people have been bringing up lately is that, hey, don't get mad at Seb Wells because he's extended this mystery. Nick Spencer did it and had it threefold. You had to wait so many more issues to find out about Kindred than we ever had here. Now, the difference in my mind is when Kindred popped up, it was that behind the scenes, I'm going to get that Peter. I know more about him. I'm going to be the one to screw with him. And people seem to be intrigued enough by it where I saw a lot of theories. Oh, who's Kindred? But that's different. A mystery of who's that in the background Trying to mess with Peter is so much different than how the hell did Mary Jane get kids? I mean, this is a slap in the face to a lot of people who just want Mary Jane and Peter to be together and possibly have their kid back. I mean, this really felt like it was an antagonizing deal, 
even so worse because once we got out of Nick Spencer's run, everybody at the end thought Nick Spencer's run was going to culminate in getting rid of one more day. And then it didn't. Got rid of sins of the past. It did okay, right? But we go from that to them once again having not just, hey, Mary Jane and Peter are fighting. I mean, this is way beyond them. You are you're throwing it in the face of fans. So that mystery is so much more upsetting than who's kindred. So when you end up, I don't care if you waited three issues, 10, 20, 70, it's going to upset people. It's a little different caliber of mystery. So that's why I do. And I ended up talking to some guy about this. And that's what I told him. I think that this mystery is so frustrating for longtime fans who really just want Peter and Mary Jane to be together that it didn't matter if it was long, short, or whatever. It was going to upset them. But we'll see how this ends. Now, my other thing that I do want to bring up, because these kids don't make any sense, but you're playing the devil's hand. Because if you end up having the kids featured a lot, I'll tell you, You'll fall in love with them. You can tell from just the couple scenes they're in. And then if you're going to have to get rid of them somehow, even if it's by magic, that's then going to upset some people. We haven't had the kids much. And I was thinking about it when I was reading this. Why didn't we get the kids that much? I mean, the idea that you end up having beginning of the run and here are the two times that the girl's name was said. That shows we didn't get much of the kids. And I do think it's 100% because you can't let people fall in love with them because they're just going to disappear. And so the big play after that will be, do they end up disappearing? Does Mary Jane remember them? Because that's going to upset her. Is it all that? Who knows? And it may not even be that. Again, this is all conjecture of me trying to figure it out. But as you can tell, though, I'm finally a bit excited about this. I don't know that this issue was the greatest thing ever. I'm going to tell you it wasn't. And I'm not going to tell you that I'm like, okay, everything before this is forgiven. Let's go. No, but you're starting to give me some clues and I can start to play along before there was no way to play along. I love a mystery that you can play along, guess, come up with theories. I do it all the time on all the podcasts that I end up doing. And up until this point, there was, there was no way to anything that you did was just a pure guess up until this point. But now you're starting to see things. Now we got some clues. Now if you do a little legwork, you can figure it out. But still, with all that said and done, not a ton happens in this issue. Yeah, I mean, big things happen, but it's a very quick issue. I actually thought that it might have even had less of a page count because it was so quick. But maybe it's because I was enjoying it a bit. I do like John Romita Jr.'s art in this. I saw a lot of people didn't like it at all. I actually liked it. And so I'm going to go. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to go 6.8. And I'll tell you, each time I read it, it did go up a bit. At one point, when I first read it, I was so frustrated and upset. I'm like, Rabin, what the? I, it would have been way lower than this, but 6.8. We're going to go off to another book that I'm struggling with, and I'll admit it. And I'm going to give you the full, you know, one, two, three. Is that what they say? The full one, two, three? I'm going to give you the full one, two, three about it and let you know. That I had an epiphany today while reading this that is kind of scary and a little sad if it's true. And I might have to lean on longtime Fantastic Four fans to let me know what the one, two, three is about that. But this is Fantastic Four, number five, written by Ryan North, 
artist Ivan Forelli, not Ivan Coelho, that has been doing the series up until now. Colors by Jesus Ervatov, letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. When the Baxter building was attacked by a horde of invaders from the negative zone, Mr. Fantastic was forced to take drastic action. He shunned the Baxter building and the surrounding city block in a temporal pocket for protection. Everyone contained within will reappear safe and sound, but in one year's time. Among the displaced are both the Thing and Alicia's children, as well as Franklin and Val Richards. Mr. Fantastic's decision caused a rift among the team and left them without a home. After a period of separation, the foursome has reunited and found forgiveness. Together, once more, they hit the road seeking new adventures. And I don't know, you never really got any sort of reaction from Sue and Reed about missing Franklin or Val. I guess this is just the regular Tuesday afternoon for the Reed Richards and Sue Richards team up. But yeah, it was weird because you do end up having Ben and Alicia very upset about their kids, but really nothing of a reaction from Reed and Sue. But you end up where they are off to a road trip. They're going to Aunt Petunia's and there is a traffic jam. So everybody stopped. Oh, my, what's doing this? Sue decides she's going to fly up and see what gives. And it isn't a overturned tractor trailer that may or may not have jackknifed. No, it is Nicholas Scratch, the sorcerer, and his children, the Salem Seven. It's a fun play here. This seems like a fun deal. But here's my problem. We keep getting these issues that I keep being told, oh, man, these are just this fun little things that you always have as like cool down issues in the Fantastic Four. Oh, my God. You know, you always said John Byrne, he ended up doing that stuff, right? He had these one shots and things. The problem is this is the start of a series. This is now the fifth issue. Yeah, they tie into each other and whatnot, but it just feels like a bunch of one shots. And it's not getting me involved. It's not getting me excited for the book. And just as that deal that I said I was going to let you in on, I am not a longtime Fantastic Four reader. I ended up where I came over to Marvel to do the podcast, and I was looking forward to, you know, finding out what gives with a lot of different characters and books. I was excited to become fans of a lot of different teams, a lot of different things. At that point, because it was at the beginning of Fresh Start, Fresh Start, there was no Fantastic Four book, but there were other books. And I'll tell you, I have become a big Daredevil fan from Chip Zdarsky and even The Invaders at one point. I was really digging that. And I ended up finding out about characters or liking things, newer things, even like a cosmic ghost rider or learning more about Beta Ray Bill. I mean, all that is very exciting for me. And while I am very aware that I can go back and read back issues, I can go and read John Byrne. My big play is I like to get involved with a series as it comes out. And then that gets me excited to go back and read some older things. I ended up reading a lot of Daredevil because I was loving that Chip Zdarsky run. And so all of that, I got the dance slot deal that was up and down. I was into it for a little, but then it just got, it, it ended up being distracted within itself. Dan slot was doing all this wacky stuff, right? So then we get Ryan North announced on the book. And I like some of Ryan North's stuff. So I go into this and I'm like, what? And it just, it's not grabbed me. But every time an issue gets done, I read it, and I do read a lot of reviews. You know, I I do reviews, but I also read a lot as well. But when I get done an issue, I'll go and look at the reviews, read them, and see what's going on. And a lot of people are saying, 
oh man, this is like the start of a classic run. This feels classic. This feels like a, a great deal of the fit. And I had the epiphany today that I said this a little scary and sad of maybe the Fantastic Four just isn't for me. If if people are saying that this is what you'd get from a classic run or this is like a John Byrne deal, yeah, a little one shot in between. But if that's what the best of the best is, then I don't know that this book's for me. And I, I want it to be for me. I want to like now again, you can say, well, Jim, go read the John Byrne stuff. And I, I yes. And I have read some of it. And I've read a couple, you know, stories with the Fantastic Four. I just need the current book to get me fired up so that I really get involved. And it's fun to wait for that issue to come out. And then also fun because I can get online or whatever and say, hey, how about that John Byrne, that Fantastic Four, and just throw a number out there. Somebody might say, oh, that's a cool issue. But when you're into something as it comes out, I can talk about it on the podcast. I can end up having fun with people and we can have little arguments and things like that. And I'm not getting that with this book. And I'm not getting that at the end of this issue. I even disagree with people who said, oh, my God, this is the funnest thing I've ever read since sliced bread. I don't know why you're reading sliced bread, but everybody can do what they want. Because what ends up happening is this is a villain that the Fantastic Four had defeated. And they had sent him off to the dark dimension. His kids were there. And what I gather from this is that while they're in that dark dimension, right? They're hanging out. They're having dinner. They're like, here comes dad again, old Nicholas Scratch. He's going to come in and start his nonsense about the glory days when he fought the Fantastic Four. And he's there. You don't understand. I was something back then. And I had them on their heels. And then all of the Salem Seven said them, why the hell are we stuck here in this dimension? You lost, Dad. And he's like, no, no, no. I, I know I could defeat them. I, I, was, I had a bad day. And then finally, they called him on his bullcrap and said, well, prove it. Here he is to prove it. This is all about his kids giving him crap, right? So he shows up and the fight's on. These have these little quips. It's fun. The fight is pretty cool. I like the art. Some people were saying that they didn't like the art. I don't know. I thought it was good. And yeah, at this one point, you have old Nicholas Scratch. I like I like that last name Scratch. I don't know why, but old Scratch here, he ends up making things get real wonky with the Fantastic Four. And as Reed explains then, because then you end up having old Scratch and the kids. We're going to go back to our house. We're going to go back and I can't wait to the first dinner because I'm really going to talk a lot of crap on my kids because now I proved it. The old man still got it. But when he goes, the Fantastic Four are like, he didn't do anything. Like, you, you didn't win. You didn't do anything. Yeah, you kind of got us all wacky, right? We look like some obscure painting for a second, but you didn't really do anything. We feel fine. So he goes off and the kids go off with him. And there you go. The Fantastic Four are like, all right, here we are. Nothing ended up happening with that. That was odd, but okay. You do have people that are still stuck in traffic. Now they're honking and yelling, you know, crazy stuff at the Fantastic Four, being very hateful because of what happened in New York City and the Baxter building and all that. So they're like, hey, get out of town, you jerks, you know, that sort of thing. So you end up where the Fantastic Four are like, all right, well, it looks like, you know, we won. And as I know, when you were back in, say, Little League, you celebrate the win by going to Pizza Hut, getting a pizza, right? Well, they go off to get food. They get the food and they eat it. You have this big deal where 
you know, Ben's like, I could eat anything and I don't gain a pound. Oh, my goodness gracious. And all of a sudden, his stomach starts gurgling. And I thought this was a weird play. Did you end up where then everybody else's stomach except Alicia's? Alicia's doesn't gurgle. She's right there eating along with them. But it looks like the Fantastic Four, they're going to have to go and take a non-fantastic deuce is what's going to happen. They get the diarrhea and they run off. They have to go and there's kind of a funny play. I don't know if it's almost like a too much information deal. When they come out, they, you know, they've dropped ballast here and they come out and Ben says, oh, Reed was doing that talking in the stall deal. But Reed has figured out what has happened. And it, to me, it's overly complicated and convoluted. There's such thing as comic booky science that you kind of, okay, that's wacky, but it's a comic book, right? It seems Ryan North really wants to go with the idea, well, Reed, he he really knows what's going on. This is real science, even though by the end of it, you kind of just go, yeah, it's kind of comic booky science. He starts to explain that he ended up having Scratch send them through the dimensions, and now they're accessing 4D. And the idea, this is where, I mean, you take a lot to explain this, and it still doesn't work for a dummy like me. What he explains is that the left-handed and right-handed sides of their DNA and RNA got switched, and because of that, it's opposite what the proteins are in the regular world, so anything organic is not compatible. And while they can still drink water and get sunlight, they're going to die of starvation, what they say, in a couple of months. It, it's wacky it, I guess it makes sense But it takes a bit to explain And then by the end you're like Alright And I also think back Scratch is there talking crap At the dinner table Right And then they're like Well there, nothing's happening dad I thought No 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 wait This whole planet It just takes a couple months And they'll starve to death And then I think the kids are probably like Yeah whatever Call me when September ends Because I'm out of here This is dumb and we just leave. And then he's like, oh, man, foiled again. Foiled again by my lousy kids. So you end up where all this said and done. They're going to have to figure out how they can stop this. They have to go into the dark dimension. They're able to do that because the Fantastic Car did get a reading on it. And off they go. And you get, you know, crazy, you know, mind-freaking landscapes. And they're fighting all these demons in the dark dimension for some reason. There isn't even Scratcher's kids. They've moved on. They're like, thank God they're not here. Kind of wanted to see them fight them, but you end up where they're fighting all these demons. At one point, Ben gets knocked into what looks like the Dark Dimensions version of the La Brea Tar Pits. He kind of gets taken out by a disc by Sue, but he's got all that crap all over himself. All right, so he's upset. They keep fighting while Reed is pretty much playing with, you know, Tinker Toys down there on this big slab of rock in the middle of just fiery inferno and hellscape so he's trying to figure this out and he does he 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 figures it out he gets all crazy he figures it out and then they end up going okay let's get out of the dimension they end up getting out of the dimension they're going to switch things up all right we're good again it didn't play out that great for me and as they're coming through the portal ben's yelling alicia turn off the car because that's what's fueling this dark dimension portal they end up turning it off as they do. One of these monsters is sticking his hand through. So you get that classic where the hand gets chopped and falls to the ground. Okay. So all of them were in the dark dimension together. Ben did fall into the goop, but they still were all there. But when Reed gets 
you know, his bearings and says, okay, Johnny, flame on and burn the crap out of Ben. Take it because what you have to do is Reed is afraid that falling into the goop might have got some sort of bacteria on Ben that would now be introduced to Earth and it would cause an effect where everything, the ecosystem would go down. And I think most people, you know, have heard the stories, you know, frogs and Australia and stuff like that. Again, though, you have to have Reed. And I think that Ryan North really wants to have Reed go overboard with it. And again, you can tell me, well, that's a normal thing. And I know I've read things where Reed, but usually Reed starts talking and then Johnny's like, I'm too dumb to understand. And then they kind of speed it up or he just gets to it. Okay, we go through here and hit the guy in the face. All right, I can understand. But in this, it just keeps going on and on. I'm like, all right, get over it. I get it. But what happens is they end up, all right, off the Ampetunias. And then we see, oh, no, it looks like maybe possibly the only thing it could be is this bacteria there is some bacteria left behind or some and a bird flies in gets it and starts flapping its wings and spreading it everywhere is that what we're seeing because it looks like it but i also think that it's weird reed comes back and they only pretty much do ben they only get ben sterilized but if it's bacteria it could be on all of them they were all in that dimension together. They were fighting hand-to-hand combat with people. It could easily be on any one of them. And that hand that got chopped off, it could be that as well. So what gives? You were so, you know, so into burning off the deal, the bacteria off of Ben, that then by the end it just feels like the only reason you did that was to explain what is going to happen. And that always drives me nuts. But yeah, my my epiphany here is after five issues, I'm not enjoying this much, but I keep having people tell me that it's classic. So let me know if this is classic. Maybe it's just not a book for me. And everybody has their books. Everybody has things they're not into. I'm not necessarily into the dark universe stuff at DC, but surprisingly, I'm into a bit of that at Marvel. So it's it's just weird. Maybe the characters, whatnot. But I want to be into the Fantastic Four. I really want to be into the Fantastic Four. And again, I know I can read back issues and I can really enjoy them. I'm talking about I want to be reading and enjoying an ongoing Fantastic Four book. Or you might just tell me, no, wait for another one or, you know, don't waste your time. And then, yeah, then I can go back and read some stuff. But I really want to enjoy this, but I'm not. And so after that, and I do like the art enough, but overall, I'm going to give this I think a positive six out of ten. Yeah, there you go. I'm telling you, some of the wackiness. And again, I know that I'm saying, oh man, I hate when Reed starts talking his science stuff. But he, I know he does that all the time. But this felt like just a little too much. It felt like it just went on that much longer. And by the end, I, I'm Johnny. I need to have it dumbed down. I don't have that handlebar mustache he seems to be sporting now and wish I had the abs, but I, yeah. Oh, the DNA and the RNA switch. I'm like, okay, I guess that works. But by the end, I'm like, eh, comic book, let's move on. And that's crazy, but we'll see. We'll see. And if somebody ends up cracking the code and maybe I just give up, I don't know, but uh, I'll probably continue reading and reviewing it. And we'll move on to Red Goblin number two. And I was really shocked. At how much I enjoyed the first issue It wasn't perfect But I went into it pretty much symbioted out Gobbled out Not wanting to say Normie all the time I like Normie But it kind of gets annoying having to say that name over and over 
So there was a lot stacked against it. But I ended up actually enjoying it more than I thought. And I always enjoy when that happens. So let's hope that the trend continues with this. Red Goblin number two, written by Alex Pagnadal, art by Jan Balzadwea, colors by David Coriel, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. You get a lot of a repeat of the recap from last issue and then kind of end with as we go forward. Now they face their first test because they're talking about Rascal the Symbiote and Old Normie, and they're going to fr- face their first test, a resurgent uh, goblin nation under the command of a resurrected Phil Urich, a.k.a. the Goblin King, has kidnapped Norman. And I said I was symbioted out, goblined out, all that stuff going down, but we're heading to the summer of symbiotes, and I kind of like this interaction between Rascal and Normie. Still hate saying Normie, but I also like having Norman in this book as well, continuing his deal. But instead of just waxing poetic and really trying to shove it down your throat like Christopher Cantwell was doing in that Gold Goblin book, this actually shows a sin of the past really coming back at Norman because Phil Urich is pissed. He is upset at the Red Goblin. He's upset at Norman. He ends up having Norman here in the sewers where I would never want to get my blood drawn in the sewers. I don't like needles, so I don't like getting my blood drawn any other way anyway. And I do have a blood test coming up that I have to take to check out some things. And with that, if they tell me that I have to do it in the sewer, I'm out. I'm not doing that. That's nonsense. But you end up having Phil, he's drawing too much blood from Norman. Norman's having some problems. But if you aren't familiar with the connection, that Phil Urich has with Norman and the Red Goblin symbiote, all this stuff going down, you do get a pretty nice little recap. And Alex Pagnadal gives it to you as a way Phil Urich's pissed and he's going to yell about everything. It's a little bit forced, but it's not so forced. I've read so many forced, hey, let's kind of throw this in, whatever. I kind of do think that Phil would be so mad that he'd be yelling that, even at this point where Norman's had so much blood drawn from him that he's delirious. So I don't know exactly what is going on with him and what he hears, but you know, you get the idea that Phil Urich was killed by Norman and the symbiote as well. He ended up dying, but with the goblin serum, he didn't quite die. He's actually a rotting body at one, you know, all that. And it does seem horrific. He says, just imagine that you're alive, but your body is just rotting around you. It's awful. And now he has, gotten the goblin nation they're rising again he's ready to take it to the streets he's ready to go and i thought and it still is the idea that norman is kind of bait he does say that he wants the symbiote to show up but he also does want norman's blood so it wasn't just okay we're gonna grab norman and kidnap him and you know wait for this but they are expecting you know red goblin to show up and we saw there was a bit of miscommunication in a deal where Norman is really trying to do the right thing and be good. You have Phil Urich who just thinks, oh, this was all Norman's deal when his guys from this new Goblin Nation came back and did that little sketch of the Red Goblin. He's like, it was you. You had your crazy thing come after me. I know it was you. I'm not going to listen to anything else. He whaps him. Norman is having some big problems here. He's very weak. Luckily, he gets his strength back in a little bit. But while all that's going on down in the sewers, you then go up and see the Osborne kids, Stanley and Normie, being taken to school by Liz. She kind of goes with that play of listen, we're a high-fluting family. 
We have to keep up appearances. The police are looking into Pop Pop. They'll find them, let them do their thing. But you guys go to school and try to work the deal. You know, work it, girl, because we are a higher up family and we have appearances to keep. It's kind of a really lame deal of when you have Norman disappear in the sewers. And so when Normie's listening to this, he's kind of mad about it. But he has learned his lesson from last issue. And he said, you know, I got caught. Without the symbiote, that's not going to happen again. I don't know it's a great thing to bring the symbiote to school. Like, it's not bring your symbiote to school day. That That's a day that's never going to happen. You're never going to have that. Plus, it kind of goes with that whole deal of weapons in school and whatnot. I actually think you're supposed to feel a little uncomfortable about this. But Normie's like, all right, they go out, everybody's yelling, hey, Normie, what up? Hey, Stanley, what's up with your grandfather? They're all yelling and whatever. And you go... And it's very quick, very quick progression here where you go into the school and suddenly Norman or Normie is being bullied. You have kids that are just kicking the crap out of them in the, in the, what's it called, in the bathroom. And the symbiote wants to come out. He's no. And then suddenly a knight in shining armor shows up. This other new kid shows up and wallops the bully. There's the other bully boys. You know, you always end up having the other bully boys around there. Uh, and they're, hey, what's up, kid? What's going on? You're dead. He's like, yeah, well, you're the one on the ground. Hey. And he's kind of kind of cool. You like this kid right away. But he does offer Normie some advice. And the advice is, you know, get some balls and fight back. You're going to have to do that at some point. You can't just let them do this or they're just going to keep doing it. I like Normie. He says, what are you, the bully whisperer? thought that was funny and he's like no no i grew up in an orphanage with a lot of jerks like that so trust me you know they're like sharks they smell blood in the water this seems to be the epiphany that normie has everybody's having epiphanies here he's like okay blood in the water you go back down to norman goblin nation and phil urich are doing nonsense i mean pretty much they're going to use norman's blood as a ped and now we're going to go for it we're going to now hit 70 home runs right Everybody's going to hit the homers And yeah, they're all juiced up With goblin blood, Norman blood And they're all freaking out Norman's desperately trying to tell them Don't do this, this is not what you want I think it's what they want I mean, whatever would happen Norman is scared that maybe they're going to go off And do some really bad things with this But if he's concerned of Oh my god, like that guy's going to go insane That guy's going to drop dead Screw it, these guys deserve it But you do see Goblin Nation just going nuts. They're ripping their clothes off. It looks like Burning Man suddenly down in the sewer. But also Phil Urich has pretty much juice. He's the Jose Canseco now of this whole deal. He's huge. He's like, oh, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. And I told you, I told you we'd be ready for your Red Assassin because they're still waiting for the Red Goblin to come down. And this is how they're thinking they're going to defeat him by juicing up on Norman blood. So we go back to Normie and Rascal, and the big play is that, I mean, you would guess this, Normie does not think that the police are going to be able to cover all the ground of the sewers. They're not even going to know where to look. And, oh, Pop-Up, he might die. So what are we going to do? Well, Normie asks Rascal, and I do like this because you're still getting that learning curve where Normie doesn't know exactly everything about Rascal and vice versa. And he says, hey, Rascal, can you smell you know other goblins can you end up smelling the things because he was the red goblin 
And is there a codex? Can you smell? Yeah, he can. So he's like, rascal, find? He's like, yeah, yeah. But when we get down there, and if there's trouble, whatnot, you can't cause a big stir. Because when we do this, then my grandfather, he's going to figure this out. He's going to figure out the whole play. So just be chill. Don't get flip out and listen to me. You got to follow orders and boom, they're together. Boom, Red Goblin. Pretty cool looking as he goes down into the sewers. As that goes on, Bill Urich still talking trash and killing flies ends up realizing, yep, he's coming. Red Goblin is coming. We're ready for him. This is going to be great. I've tra- Oh, no, a bunch of rats. There is like, it, this is my ultimate nightmare. I hate rats. I ended up as a kid growing up in a pretty bad area and there was tons of rats and they freaked me out. I mean, until the day. And I ended up at points where even little mice, I will jump on furniture and scream. I, I just can't take it, let alone having a tsunami or a tsunami of rats come. And just go over you. You do end up seeing Phil is upset about this. But this is a distraction so that Norman and Rascal can come in and start the attack. The problem is, is that Phil Urich uh, is ready. He has been planning for this to happen. And he is pissed. I mean, he is really pissed and pretty much clamps onto the neck of the symbiote, slams him into the wall, and is just carrying him around like a rag doll. So it looks like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Because you end up having the symbiote kind of dissipating off a normie. You're going to end up Norman's going to see this. But thank God he's able to throw Phil off and run over to Norman. Now, Norman is still delirious and thinks it's Spider-Man. And also, Phil Urich, he's not done. Now, luckily, Normie and Rascal is able to unclamp the bindings that are keeping Norman down says, you know, you get out of here, I'll fight Phil Urich. They fight, but you get a big sonic blast from Phil Urich, and this really is hurting Rascal. We know it would, the whole sonic deal with symbiotes. And you do end up being reminded again, like, this is a little kid. This is just Normie there. He's upset. At one point, he even gets a knife through his hand. I mean, all these things going on. He just wants to go home to his mom, but he's there to save his grandfather and luckily norman is also there to save him whether he knows it or not that this is grandson but he comes he's gotten his strength back and wallops phil i mean wallops him and now i want to know the workout routine of norman holy moly he just levels him and him and the symbiote start running away you know you end up having norman and rascal get him he still thinks it's Spider-Man, so you end up having Normie smart enough to pretend that. Okay, sir, let's go. I'm going to get you out of here. i got to take it to a hospital. And they go running down one of the sewer lines, and out comes one of the Goblin Nation guys that we ended up seeing last issue. It's the guy with the mohawk who just annoys the heck out of me, but he's supposed to. And he's like, yeah, you think that the Goblin King would end up just having that as our full plan. No, we had a backup plan, and you just walked right into it. Pretty much it is the whole Goblin Nation is waiting, and Normie, Rascal, and Norman, they're kind of in a bit of a narrow space in this point. They're in this tunnel deal, and there's no real where to run or maneuver, and they're going to end up getting full-out attack from the Goblin Nation. But when this ends, 
you end up having this sus guy say, you're looking at the all new, all different Goblin Nation. I'm like, oh, so you're going to suck. Is that what we got here? Oh, my goodness. And that's how it ends. And, yeah, you end up where, again, through this whole thing, Normie is trying to, you know, keep Rascal under control. But what what's going to happen here? And even thinks, I think I might have to let Rascal go full ham here. And how is that going to play? Is Rascal going to leap off of Normie and go attack on his own and then would leave Norman seeing that it's Normie again? If this ends up being the case and happening, I don't think it's that crazy a thing, but he he wants to keep that on the down low. Uh, yeah, I like this. I actually did still like it. I didn't like it as much as I liked the first issue, but I still had fun with it. And I still really like Normie and Rascal. I like that interaction. I like seeing, you know, little Normie, a little kid trying to figure out on his own, almost like greatest American hero esque, trying to figure out. What the symbiote does, how to keep him under control without the user manual and all by himself, because he has nobody to really talk about. Dylan's MIA, and there he can't go to Norman. See, that's where if you're going to continue this and have, that's where I think it is a smart move for Norman to find out and work the angle of let's be superheroes together. And hey, Gold Goblin and Red Goblin hitting it like a Batman and Robin, I'm all for it. That'd be really cool. So I want to see. Where it ends up and how this all, you know, goes. But at the moment, they're going to have to take down the all new, all different combination. Oh, no. But we'll see. I'm going to give this a seven out of 10. I'm still into it, though. I still really am. And I did enjoy it. Uh, sometimes the art got a little wonky. And like I said, there's some moments that just kind of seemed a little forced, but I still enjoyed it. But with all that, thanks, everybody. For listening, I'm going to cut out here with these three books. I do have some other books that I still have to catch up on, and I will do that, including an X book that the whole weird dose of X didn't touch. And it's something that interests me. So, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have an X book on the regular show. Who would have thunk it? You can guess what it is, maybe, but we'll we'll leave that for later. But please, everybody, go over to Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. We have a bunch of things going on. I always mix them up. WS Marvel Comics. The WS does stand for Weird Science, Jim. Come on now. Also, we have our YouTube channel. That would be Weird Science Comics. We also have a website, WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com, and please. If you like what you get from all of our shows and want more podcasts, more things, classic stuff, new stuff, it's all combined, please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash weird science. And I think that you will find something you would like there. Plus, you, you give us a little, you know, a little bit of a bonus deal and help us do all this, get inspired, whatnot. But thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. And I will talk to you all. Later. You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution.